Grace and mercy and peace be with you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We, this summer at our church, are working our way through the book of Genesis. And so uh, we so far have gone through Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. And up to this point, things have been perfect. Things have been good. Things have been very good. Everything is whole. Everything has been complete. There is nothing lacking in God's good creation. Until we get to today's reading, Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3 began with these words. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. Now, who is this serpent? Well, the Hebrew word here for serpent is the Hebrew word for snake, actually. And so that's where you get the images of a snake in the garden because the Hebrew word can be translated snake. And the the root word for that actually comes from the Hebrew word for hissing. So you can just imagine this hissing serpent snake here right in the midst of the garden. Now, Christians have always believed and attributed the work here of temptation, this crafty serpent, to Satan himself, the enemy, the evil foe, the devil. Uh, The Hebrew language does have the word for Satan in it. Actually, Satan itself is a Hebrew word. You pronounce it Satan in Hebrew. That's where it comes from. And that word is not here in Genesis 3. It doesn't specifically say Satan. It does say serpent. Uh, and, but Christians have always believed and attributed this work to the evil one. And why is that? Because the scriptures themselves say that this ancient serpent is the devil himself. Let me turn you to the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, which says, The ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. All right. So this ancient serpent is the devil, Satan, who is the deceiver of whom? The whole world. And so Satan is there in the midst of the garden. And you know, I, if, if you're like me, we ask that question sometimes, you know, why? Why is Satan there? Why did God allow this? Last week we talked about that. We, we don't know all the answers to those questions, but what we have is what we have. And what we have here is this crafty serpent, Satan himself, And he is placing a temptation before the man and before the woman. Now, what is the temptation that this crafty serpent places in front of them? Some people have the understanding, you know, that that Satan somehow, that the the temptation he put before the man and the woman was like uh, the, the piece of fruit, as if the piece of fruit was the nicest fruit. Like, as if in the rest of the garden, all Adam and Eve had to eat were like soggy, old, red, delicious apples, you know, but here in the, in the tree of life, it's like a, a crisp, I don't know, Fuji, or is that one, a nice apple, or Fiji? Well, I don't know what you call it, but the nice, a crisp apple, right? That some people think like, oh, they just had to have it, right? Just a really, really good apple. Was that what the temptation was? No, not necessarily. What is it that Satan said? Well, it, it, it's very clear that he started in a very crafty way. Because first he speaks to the woman, and what did he say to the woman? Right away he says this, did 
God actually say? Did God actually say? See, this is where it all begins. The seed of doubt is placed into the woman's mind. Up until this point, there was, there was no such thing. There was no need to doubt the word of God because the word of God brought them into life. The word of God brought everything into existence. The word of God was good. Everything was good. Everything was very good, right? She didn't doubt the word of God, but now this word comes to her. Did God actually say? Did God actually say? Right? Did God actually say? Isn't that where all of your temptations begin as well, if you think about it? If you're honest with yourself, if you actually pay attention to the times where you are being led into temptation, isn't this how Satan works in a crafty way to get us to go, hmm, did God actually say anything about this behavior that I want to enter into? Does God actually care if I do this thing? Did, did God actually say, does he, does he care, right? If you're honest with yourselves and you're paying attention, I believe Satan puts these kinds of thoughts in our minds to question the Word of God. When Eve is first posed with that question, when the woman is first posed with that question, did God actually say, she actually responds in the right way, right away. Did you notice it? First, she responds to, to Satan and says, well, God said we can eat from any of the trees in the garden but we're just not supposed to eat from this one tree in the midst of the garden, nor should we touch it, lest we die. Lest we die. At that point, when she answers appropriately, Satan has to ratchet up his attack on her. See, first he starts by spinning the weave of doubt in her mind, and then he moves to an all-out lie. Because he says to her, you will not surely die which we know to be an outright lie, right? You will not surely die, Satan says to her. See, he starts with deception, puts a little doubt in her mind, then he moves to a full-blown lie, and then he brings about the actual temptation. He says to her then, you're not going to die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, <clears throat> and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, I don't know what was going through her mind at this point, if she actually processed this and thought it through, but this is what Satan says. If you eat of this, you will know good and evil, and you will be like whom? God. You will be like God. And so you can only imagine, maybe she thinks, huh, <clears throat> excuse me, it would, it would be kind of interesting to be like God, <laughs> to have a little bit more power, a little bit more knowledge. And I don't really know why she did, but she did, right? She ate the fruit. She saw that it was tasty and it was good for eating. And so she gave some to her husband and he took a bite and he ate. And the serpent was correct in what he said, for their eyes were opened and they knew that they were naked. And so they sewed some fig leaves together and they made clothes for themselves, right? Satan said, your eyes will be opened and he was right, their eyes were opened. And they looked at one another and they saw that they were naked and so they covered up. Do you remember how Genesis 2 ended? Do you remember how Genesis, Genesis 2, the last verse of Genesis 2 says, they were naked and they were not ashamed. That's how, that's how the perfect creation ended. They were naked and they were not ashamed. 
Here, what do we have? Their eyes are open and they realize that they're naked and they're ashamed, so they cover up. Nakedness and shame. Just the fact that I'm even talking about that might make some of you a bit squeamish. <laughs> right? It might make some of you giggle. Right? Just the fact that I'm even bringing up nakedness right now makes kind of all of us go, uh, can we just move on? This is weird. I don't want to talk about this, right? I mean, it, 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 this, this whole thing. Just think about it, though. Just think about uh, how core and central this idea is of what sin does to us. Sin affected right away the way that they saw their own selves. When they looked at their own bodies, the good creation of God, they said, uh, I don't know if I like this very much. And you can see me, and I don't know, right? And so they, 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 had to, they had to cover up, right? So sin affects the way we see ourselves, the way that we feel about ourselves, the way we see other people, the way that we feel about other people. And sin just gets right at that core centrality of who we are as human beings. And from this point on, from this point on till this day even, sin entered the world. Now, what is sin? Obviously, we throw that word around a lot. What is sin? Sin, by definition, is when creation rebels against the creator. Right? When creation rebels against the creator. I mentioned last week uh, that the, the whole idea, even, of creation rebelling against its creator is as preposterous in the beginning as a, a piece of pottery rebelling against the potter. Like, it's not supposed to happen. And yet, that's exactly what happens. The artwork of God rebels against God. The creator God had said, do not eat from this tree. Instead, you can have all of this. And what did the creation do? It ate what God said, don't eat. Right? It is that clear and simple. The problem of sin is that humanity disregarded the word of God and they said, I don't care that your word is, is supposed to be central. I want to be central and I want to do what I want to do. This is what we call the fall into sin. Right? The fall into sin. That almost makes it sound like it was accidental. Like they got to the edge of a cliff and just went, whoops, and they slipped and fell. I don't know. For Adam and Eve, it wasn't that simple. They didn't, yes, they got too close, but they blatantly disregarded the word of God. God could not have been more clear with them, right? Have all of this. Take care of it. Just don't eat this. Don't touch it or you will die. <laughs> they had to. Right? They, they just felt like they had to. So it was not a gentle slip. They blatantly and intentionally disregarded the word of God. Now this is the very nature of our sin as well. If you are attentive to your life, if you are attentive to the word of God, and if you are attentive to the, the word of Satan, that crafty evil one trying to lead you away from the word of God, if you pay attention to your sin, you will notice that this is at the very nature of your sin as well, right? When you blatantly disregard the word of God. When you say, God, I know what you're saying. I just don't care about it right now. I'm going to do what I want to do. Those of you who have raised children at any point or are currently raising children, uh, I, I think you understand this concept very well, 
right? Where, where you as parent have said to your children, don't do this. They look you at the eye, in the eye, and then they turn and they go and do that thing right in front of you, right? It is that simple, that simple. That is the concept of sin. I don't think I need to explain it anymore. I think you understand it well. So when Adam and Eve stepped over that line in the Garden of Eden, sin entered the world. And right here we see what it is that sin does. Sin, by nature, leads to separation. Sin leads to separation. When I read this story of the fall into sin, I see a fourfold separation. So let's break it down like this, a fourfold separation. First, between man and woman. Then between humanity and God. Then between humanity and creation, and then between humanity and themselves. I want to talk about each of these just briefly. All right. So this is from, right straight from the story of, of uh, Genesis 3. So first of all, what's the first separation that happens? I already told you, but when they ate the fruit of the tree, their eyes are open, they look at one another, they realize that they're naked, they feel ashamed, so they grab some leaves and they do what? They clothe themselves. So right there, there's already an emotional separation between husband and wife because they feel this thing called shame. But they also now put up a physical barrier, right? A physical separation, clothing, between husband and wife, a perfect union, right? They clothe themselves. There is now separation emotionally and physically between man and woman. What's the next thing that happens? They hear God coming in the cool of the garden, as was his custom, and they are afraid because they're naked, and so they do what? They go and they hide behind a tree, right? They had no fear of God before. They had a perfect relationship with him, but now they're afraid and they're ashamed of what they've done, and so they do what? There is a physical barrier. There is an emotional, spiritual barrier now between them, shame and fear, but also they put a physical barrier between them. Do you see what's happening? Separation between humanity and God. Now, God obviously finds them where they're hiding because he's God and he can do that kind of thing. And he gets to them and he speaks to them and he says to them, what is this that you've done? And they say, you know, we're hiding because we're afraid, because we're naked. And he says, who told you that you were naked? And then they explain and they place blame. You know, Adam says, the woman told me to do it. And then the woman says, the serpent told me to do it. Right? It's just this unfolding of things. And then God speaks to the serpent, and he says to the serpent, Cursed are you among all livestock. You'll crawl on your belly the rest of your life. The offspring of this woman will come one day, and you will bruise his heel, but he will bruise, or in some other translations which are appropriate, he will crush your head. So the offspring of this woman will crush your head. That is the promise of the Messiah, even right here in the garden. And so God tells Satan, you're not going to have power forever. All right. So we've got separation between man and woman, separation between humanity and God. But then God speaks to the woman. And he says to the woman, the reason that I created you was to be a helper to your husband to love him, to care for him. But now he's going to lord his power over you. God said that. And oftentimes that, that happens in broken marriages, right? And then he also says, what were you created to do? To be wife and to be mother. And that whole thing is now going to be filled with pain and not with just joy, right? It'll be filled with pain. 
And so her relationship to what she's supposed to do in the creation is now messed up and filled with pain. And he says to Adam, the reason that I created you was to work the ground and to bring fruit and food from the ground. Well, now the ground is not going to cooperate. You're going to sweat and you're going to stress and it's going to be difficult and thorns are going to grow up and it's going to be hard and filled with pain. And so their whole relationship to creation is broken. And then on top of that, we watch the creation just unfold itself. And finally, the last thing, the final separation that happens is the thing God had told them would happen. It is the thing that Satan lied to them about. But the final consequence of sin is what? Death. And what is death but humanity being separated from itself? God's perfect union of flesh and breath ripped apart. The wages of sin is death, right? And so there's just this unpeeling of absolutely everything. All is falling apart. Don't you see it in your lives, in the world? If you are attentive to the brokenness in this world, isn't it one of these four things, right? All the brokenness in this world, broken marriages, broken families, broken relationships, broken societies. It's all that first one. Our, our lack of, of full trust in the power and authority of God. It's that unpeeling of the second one. The, the creation in humanity, we know the stress right, of, of, of work in this world. We know the pain of childbirth. For some of you that have stressful jobs in this, in this world, some of you try to outwork the stress and you become workaholics. Some of you become lazy and apathetic because you don't want to deal with the stress of the world, right? We, we are constantly at battle. And then we just watch the creation unfold. You know, we see these tragic events and natural disasters and lives lost, and we just go, what in the world is happening? And finally, death just surrounds us. Death is this thing that is like least often talked about, but most often experienced by all of us. Death abounds in this world. Do you see it? Things just peeling apart. We read in the epistle lesson today in Romans chapter 18, verse 22, the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Everything from the very beginning, everything has been groaning, everything has been broken, everything has been affected by sin. And this is why God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into this world. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. The Greek word there for world is the word cosmos. For God so loved the cosmos, not just earth. For God so loved everything and everything in it. God loved it all that he sent his son Jesus Christ into this world that whoever believes in him should not what? Perish. That is, they shall not die, but they shall have what? Eternal life. Right? God sent his son Jesus Christ into this world to take on death and defeat death and rise from the dead and pave the way to everlasting life so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God didn't send his son into this world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. This, my friends, this is the message of the entire scriptures. Our God created life and it was good, and it was very good. 
and humanity blatantly disregarded the word of God. And therefore, God himself had to come and save and forgive and rescue his creation from their own sin by dying and rising to new life. And one day, Jesus will return and he will create the new heavens and the new earth in which we will have perfect life and it will be good and it will be very, very good for all of eternity. As you go this week, and not just this week, but every day of your lives, I, I would just encourage you to be attentive to the Word of God. God has a lot to say about the way that you live your life. If you are not attentive to the Word of God, you will not see the crafty temptation of the evil one. So put the Word of God ever in your minds and on your lips, and may your hearts and minds be guarded by the power of the Holy Spirit and the authority of the resurrected Jesus, and may your faith be strengthened and nourished this day and every day. Work towards bringing things back together that are separated. That's called reconciliation. And in the ministry of Jesus Christ, you have been called to be ambassadors of reconciliation. So go and do that good work of Jesus Christ. Bring things back together that are broken and do it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.